Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art. I like to paint monsters. And you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. Hello. Hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I enjoyed my cigarette. I'm glad. Between the, the pre-roll and the beginning of this episode. <laughs> yeah. Well, I already... We, we've already discussed on the pre-roll how exhausted I am and how you're doing better. And so I don't know what to say about that here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, we both, we both had a couple things that we, we can talk about. Though. I didn't talk much about the, the tour that Chris just went on Chris Haas, who was just recently a guest on the podcast. So if you haven't listened to that episode, you should go listen to the Chris Haas episode. Yes, He's an great. awesome 3d sculptural artist. Yes. And, yeah, and he lives close by and he's a good friend. So he came down and we did a tour together and had a lot of fun. Went out in the Badlands and trucked around and went rock picking and went out to some of my favorite spots. He claimed a, a winter spot because he had, you know, everyone gets a spot. You have a spot. Everyone that goes out there has a spot. Right. And then whenever I take people out there, I point out everyone's spots <laughs> to people. <laughs> Got to make little shrines. You know, I do. I have, there's shrines at all the spots and oh, there's, cool. there's altars for leaving things. And every time I go out there on a circuit, if I go by someone's spot, I leave an offering out of my pocket of some precious stone I've picked up in oh, the cool. spot. Yeah, I do it. So anyway, so he, he picked cause he had been up here during the winter and now this is uh, summer and he's been here in the summer before he was, I took him to his winter spot and he was like, all right, I'm claiming this is my winter spot, but it's really hot during the summer in that <laughs> spot during the winter. It's nice, you know, cause it's cold out. So you're hiking and it's cold. You get to that spot and it's like, you can take your shirt off it's like nice but during the summer it's brutal so yeah but it's it's a like an ancient um coral reef that has is fossilized and so it's just this huge kind of like almost like a carpet like a, a six inch thick carpet of kind of like coral reef that's over the top of this weird sandstone formation it's really trippy it looks like something out of lord of the rings it's really cool wow, that's cool so we went down there and set there's like a little garret kind of like a nook and there's a spot where i've it's kind of a sacred circle spot like the one i took you to but long way out mm -hmm. and there's rocks all around it up in the branches of things and on the rocks and sandstone little sacred spots we hung out there and nice. chatted and yeah had a really good time so i i'm feeling rejuvenated from that experience i think he is too yeah Great. Well, I'm the opposite of that. I'm at the end of a big job, freelance job that I haven't been able to talk about. I haven't been able to show any progress on my Patreon. I'm really bummed about that, but it's a film project I'm working on, um, basically making a prop painting for a low budget horror film. But um, so I'm at the very tail end of that. I have to get it photographed tomorrow. So I've been pulling all nighters. Everything's a mess and chaos. And I'm exhausted, but, um, you know, it's, it's really weird. A lot of times, uh, when I'm for working on shows or a body of work or a specific project, I will get hung up on, um, a series of films I'm watching, you know, I'll watch one movie and I'm like, Oh, I want to watch a bunch of movies, but a bunch of Scorsese movies or whatever. And then yeah, yeah. whenever I think about those movies, I think about the, 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 uh, thing I was working on and, <clears throat> this last one on, on this project last few days i've been watching the uh, old amicus horror movies and you don't know amicus 
That it didn't ring a bell when you said it to me on the pre-roll. So, so they're like in in England in the seventies and probably late sixties, early seventies. There was horror hammer hammer horror films. You know, you ever heard of Hammer? Yeah, yeah, because I watched a documentary you told me to watch that yeah. was all about those guys. Yeah, so there was Hammer and there was Amicus. Those were kind of the two ones. And Amicus, I, I always liked the Amicus stuff better. Hammer was a little like a little more quality, and, mm-hmm. and Amicus was a little more like cheesy and low budget. But they used to they did all the um, uh, what's it called uh, anthology films. Okay. Like they did the original Tales from the Crypt. I don't know if you've ever seen that one. Yeah, it's yeah. I've seen so the original Tales from the Crypt. From like 1970 or something. Yep. And um, they did one called Asylum, which you have to watch. It's so I great. I've seen that. And uh, Torture Garden is another good one. Burgess Meredith. Uh, what's the other one? There's one called Dr. Terror's. Dr. Terror's House of Horrors or something. <laughs> that one is like terrible, but it's still, even the bad stuff I really love. Um, From Beyond the Grave. Have you ever seen From Beyond that, the Grave? That name sounds really yeah, familiar. It's so good. It's so good. I just love those movies. And so I've been watching all of those old anthologies. There actually is a, there's a few of them on Amazon Prime right now, like um, Tales from the Crypt, the original Tales from the Crypt. So that's kind uh-huh. of that's kind of been a little bright spot in, in the in the craziness is revisiting those films. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so funny cool. we're both on horror kicks right now. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? It's it's a weird thing because we didn't talk about it, but I'm obviously also you know been solo here, and so I've been watching a bunch of horror movies. I'm also working on a horror project, and so I like to consume like you. I like to consume material that is in alignment with whatever it is that I'm working on, and I like to see the good and the bad, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I'll you know, and now I won't make it through every movie. I think I made it the for the first through. Wait, excuse me. The first hour of six movies and it stopped on six movies an hour in. So mm-hmm. like I'm willing to just shut it off. <laughs> but there's two movies I wanted to tell you about or remind you about. And, and the guests can hear it, too. It, you know, one of the movies called The Gift, and it's got the dude from um, uh, Arrested Development, the the middle-aged guy not the middle-aged guy but the i don't know the name of these actors but the one the guy that's in it that's like the main guy the main kind of uh he's a famous actor he's got the spiky hair uh, he's in arrested development uh not the kid but he's like the dad of the kid bateman isn't it that bateman guy maybe but anyway he plays the main role in it so it's <clears throat> it's like a guy from a comedy that's playing a serious role and it's called the gift and it was really good oh. it was suspenseful it was uh it was well done it was good you know really good acting jason bateman i guess so Hmm. okay so but he's playing a serious role and it's really good it was you know it hit all the notes for me i I wasn't dissatisfied in any way shape or form and i found it to definitely be disturbing and wondering if i saw it i'm wondering if i saw it i can't it's like new on netflix yeah Huh. So it was really good. And then the other one that was good that has a, a character that you is from a show you turned me on to because you turned me on to Arrested Development. You also turned me on to uh, Office Space. And, you know, the guy, the salesman guy, that's the traveling guy. That's like the big asshole that's always like pops in for episodes here office and there. Office Space or The Office? Or The Office. I'm sorry. No, oh, office yeah. Space. Yeah. Uh, what's that dude's name? That He's a comedian. Yeah. That's and he hilarious. always... And he's always like uh, friends with Michael Scott yeah, and it's, uh, always getting up to trouble. Todd, and he's just such Todd, a jerk. Todd Packer. 
Yeah, <laughs> so he plays one of the main characters in this movie. It's called Cheap Thrills. Mm-hmm. I just watched it a couple nights ago. It was great, man. It was really good. And he plays this kind of a serious role. I mean, uh. he still does. There's like it's a dark comedy. I mean, that's one of the things I like about this one is that it's like they're definitely playing the dark comedy angle, like right. pushing it all the way where you're super uncomfortable. <clears throat> but it's great. It was it really kind of plays with these deep seated ideas of what you will do for money and how far you'll go for money. And yeah. it was a good construct, good device, great acting. And that guy, the guy that plays Packers in it, and he's <laughs> awesome. He plays it all the way. He like is the guy that he's playing. And that's I was really cool. impressed. So two guys from comedies that you turned me on to at the office and arrested development in horror movies playing serious roles and both films were solid oh, that's weird. really so oh, well i'll have to check those out i haven't like like you mentioned i haven't uh watched any of the movies you told me to watch because uh, I, I have to be <clears throat> i have to just watch when i'm painting i have to either watch documentaries that i can listen to or um uh stuff that I've seen a million times before. So it's kind of just well, like noise. I don't have to pay too much attention. That's why I think that you should watch uh, that movie room. Yeah. Because I think that that movie you could watch while painting. No problem. Cause it's yeah. more, you could All listen right. to I'll watch room. it. I'll watch it on your room recommendation. Room was amazing. I'll just give the recommendation to everybody. If you want to watch a, a disturbing film that was also heartwarming somehow watch room on Netflix. It was great. Not so the room, of, not the room. It's just room. <laughs> the word R O O the room is that movie. That's like, you know, considered the worst movie ever made, which I've been, uh, I, I've gotten a, a kick, uh, the room kick a while back. Uh, what's the, the guy who made the movie? Oh, they, they made a, they made a movie about him making the movie recently, oh. which is really good. Cause it's just like one of these guys total tried to make a serious movie with his own money. And he's like, kind of like not, uh, no self-awareness of kind of what a, nut he he is you know and he made this movie and and um the movie's so bad it's amazing it's like <laughs> it's incredible it's it's like a so comp- not to be confused with whatever yeah. this piece of shit movie is that he's talking about this movie's called room it's, it's still- r-o-o-m and it's about a girl and her son that are trapped in a room by a sadistic bad person yeah. so it's still don't be it's, confused it's still a great movie in a different way it's like so, well, you got to watch the shitty ones too to be able to. If you're going to produce good stuff, you got to know what's not good. You know, that's and, the truth. You know, and when you when something is so bad that it's it defies category, it's like <laughs> its own thing. It's <laughs> like Troll Two. Yeah, yeah, or Plan Nine. When I watched that documentary, or, you told me to watch Electric Boogaloo. Finally, you told me to watch that like a year ago or something, and I finally watched it. I thought it was great about oh, Canon cool. Films. Oh yeah, yeah, that is a that good was one. awesome. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Great. Well, yeah, anyway, you know, that's the, not what this episode is about, but yeah. <laughs> here we are. <laughs> right, let, let me say one one last thing. You know, plan Plan Nine from Outer Space by Ed Wood gets touted as like the worst movie ever made. Um, which is, it's a great one. It's the one with you know Bella Gosi died died in the middle of shooting, and so they had to get a double, but they couldn't afford. You know, they couldn't replace him with someone that looked exactly like him. So every time you see him as this vampire guy, he's got his arm over his face with the cape uh, yes but um the other movie that ed wood made <clears throat> or he produced i think that actually the worst movie ever is it, the best worst movie i think i think it's better than all of the bad movies like better than the room better than um uh troll 2 it, it's called uh orgy of the dead oh my god so they, amazingly they bad <laughs> so 
it's basically just an excuse to have a bunch of strippers do strip tease routines, but in between <laughs> and the strippers are, you know, most of them are very <laughs> not great. Um, but it's just so amazing. The, some of the cuts are so amazing and it's so bad. It's just, it really is amazing. It's like a work of art. It's so bad. Just complete total incompetence, but shot like in the late sixties, early seventies. So it's got that cool, weird color stock look in the yeah, film. Yeah. Oh, I got to show up for you sometimes. So funny. Like number 85 film stock or something. It's incredible. Anyway. So, okay. So the topic of today because we haven't actually recorded for a couple of weeks because we had to yeah. get a bunch of episodes done before Brian uh, Kilgore, our sound guy, he was going to be out of town. So we had to get these uh, episodes done in time for him to, to process them and stuff. So, okay, so it's been three weeks since we recorded. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of like getting back in the swing of it. But um, we were thinking that maybe... <clears throat> talking about how I keep thinking of that talking head song. Um, uh, you may ask yourself, uh-huh. how did I get here? <laughs> it told, like if, if we were using songs, the intro songs, that's the song we would use for this one. Right. Uh, uh, Once in a lifetime. It's a great song too. Yeah, it is. I love that song. And uh, so, you know, just, I know that was, a, uh, how, how did, how did we get here? How did you get here? How did I get here at t- this point in our lives? Because that's something that I was always curious about when I was starting to become an artist. Uh, I would I would see artists that were, you know, successful to a, some degree to where I knew I was following them. You know, I like these artists and they and they were putting up books and stuff. And so I would always wonder how they got to the place that they're at, <clears throat> you know. And so we thought we could talk about our journey our journeys getting there because it's right. it's really strange and it's never what you think it is and it's um it's like something that happens to you after you for me it was kind of like something that happened to me after i made the decision i was going to try and do it and it just kept going and it still feels like i'm not there yet yeah you know yeah Well, and I guess uh, we, to some degree, we may all have to reserve ourselves to the fact that we, we may go through our whole lives, never feeling like we get there, wherever there is, because that kind of connotates that there's a destination point of some sort other than death. And the reality is, is that nothing is really linear. Even our thinking isn't linear. Our memory isn't linear. You know what I mean? Our perceptions really aren't linear. So it's all kind of, we're trying to take this whole human experience and fashion it into this timeline that goes from A to Z, you know, and it's not really how that is processed emotionally or spiritually or otherwise. I mean, even now I think, you know, when I get to that point where I can just do my work at a reasonable pace and not have to kill my practically kill myself to work so hard and all the bills will be paid all the time and I will never have to worry about money. That's to me, this end point that I'm trying to get to. And, you know, and I may never get there, but, and if I do get there, I may get to that point and go, Oh, I want to go. I want something further than that. You know, it's, right. I think it's just kind of an endless thing and, and kind of wrong really. But I think everyone feels that way has this sure. idea of where they want to go. Absolutely. 
And it was, it, well, and I think then, like you said, to some degree, it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy because you end up manifesting the thing. It's just that the way that it manifests is always in some really strange, interesting way that you never could have foreseen. I mean, yeah, actually, I think back to when I was a kid, like looking as an adult, like what would I want to be doing with my life? Well, I'm pretty much doing the things I wanted to be right. doing as a kid, but the way that it went about happening and how I got here and even <laughs> how I'm doing it and what I'm doing, even doing yeah. this, this podcast is like, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. I never figured out doing something like this. Yeah, know? yeah. And you know, it's, I think part of success and achieving a goal is being open to following the little trail that life gives you, you mm-hmm. know, and having the kind of, at least the foresight to go, hey, this this is something maybe I should try. And if it works, you try a little more and blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, or, or, um, you know, recognizing things as they opportunities as they come up and, and following them, even though they may be, might be different, you know, because what's weird for me is, is, and I never talk about this in this regard, but, you know, I tried when I was my first earliest, uh, thing I wanted to do was be an artist. That's the earliest occupation I can remember having like first grade. I remember fantasizing about that. And I ended up get you know getting into makeup effects when I was twelve, and, and getting totally into that, and that was then that then became my passion, and um, so I did that, started doing that professionally at high school, and uh, when I started right around the time I started <clears throat> getting in that business, I also had a band, and because um, I really love writing music and playing music, and I I was trying to do that also. At first, it started off as just a fun thing to do. And I think I was 17, I started playing. And then as it got, you know, as I started doing it more, I started thinking more like, hey, we could, you know, I want to make it as a musician mm-hmm. with my band. And then after, you know, 10 years of that, you know, with band breaking up and starting a new band and blah, 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 10, 10 years went by and I was finally like, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. After the last breakup of the band, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to stop. I'm actually going to give up on this dream because it was just Mm -hmm. like, I can't, you know, I can't keep putting a new band together. It's, you know, obviously I felt like we were good and the music was good. And, but for whatever reason, it wasn't working. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I basically gave up on that dream and then I, I started getting really into computer animation. All this I was, while I was working, in the um, film industry. Mm-hmm. And so then I was got really excited about computer animation. I tried to start a company as computer. Well, and that place that for an era for people that are listening. So they understand why you were excited about that. Cause that was a oh, budding yeah. field at the time. You yeah. Know? And it was 98, I think, mm-hmm. you know, it's 97, somewhere in the mid late nineties, I started getting to computer animation and, you know, tool used some of the stuff for their live shows. And so I, you know, I was making a little bit of headway, but I, we had, I had a partner, I had a couple partners. We even rented a studio space in Pasadena and, you know, had a full fledged business and got a couple jobs, but it just didn't, didn't click, you know, it just wasn't happening. And <clears throat> let's see. And then, yeah, the, the, the culmination of that was really the disturb the normal DVD and after I did that, I did that all on my own and the, the business kind of fell apart I had falling out with my partner. And I did, 
decided to do the Disturb the Normal because I thought that was the original idea of these animations was art pieces, moving pictures, basically. And long-standing gifts now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but exactly. at the, but at the time, really yeah, ahead of yeah. its time. It was so early that. I mean, that was back when there were still floppy disks and stuff. I mean, oh, that yeah, was like totally. that was yeah. the era of like floppy disks and fat, big fat box computers and stuff. I mean, Jazz for drives. people that don't, you know, not everybody remembers. Sometimes, you know, that's what we're talking about. It's like so you doing that and achieving that was kind of a, a pretty big deal at the time. Given, I mean, I I think to myself, I didn't even get on the internet until I went to college because I had to for college, and that was like '98. Right. You know what I mean? And then I was like, I got to do this internet thing. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> And right. I got my first computer around that time. It was like a really good one built like a custom built one from this company. It was $5,000 and it had, what was it? 64 megs of Ram, which was huge, right. You know? And yeah. Yeah. It yeah. It's terrible, huge at the time. Terrible process. It was so tiny. Anyway. Yeah. Jazz. We used to use jazz drives. That was like the big storage <laughs> thing that had these big clunky cartridges and they're really expensive, but you could hold all kinds of, stuff on them but anyway so point being is that didn't work out and i ended up still unsat doing this dream job getting my dream job of makeup effects but then being unsatisfied and still you know wanting more or something else and that led me to painting because i started right around that time i also started getting into brahm he had some art books that really inspired me and mark ryden had had an art book that really inspired me. And so I thought, you know, maybe I should paint and it, which, you know, seemed weird at the time because I hadn't considered it since I was a kid because I watched my stepdad grow up and, you know, he was struggling. It was always up and down. We had money. We didn't have money. And so I never even considered it as a, as a job because it just seemed like this is crazy. And especially, you know, in the seventies, eighties, when I grew up, there was no market for anything I would want to do anyway. Right. Right. So I, so eventually I got to that point <clears throat> where I, you know, was like, okay, maybe I can do this. I'll, I'll give it a try and do some painting and see if I can, I think I can do it. Um, and so I, I could, I, I was like, oh, I can do this. I get it. I can paint. And so then I started along that path and really focused on it. And, you know, one thing led to another and I, and here I am now at this point, but the, the point I'm trying to make is that I had, you know, two major failures before getting to this point. And right. the whole time I didn't realize that the fine artist was the thing, a painter. That was my right. thing. A fine, fine art painter sculptor was the thing I really should have been going after all along because that's that really was the original, yeah. the original vision as it were. Yeah. And it was deep inside of me. It was still there and it was sort of where my heart was. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, but, but, you know, ultimately it was about, you know, doing something creative um, I, I probably could have been just, just as happy being a musician and writing songs and being successful at that because I love, I love it. I love writing songs and recording and stuff. It's really, really fun. So, um, it just, the other point it brings me to is I was just listening to that Jack Conti, who was, um, this guy who started Patreon and he, yeah, the CEO of Patreon. Yeah, and he start. He was on the One Fantastic Week podcast last week, and if you haven't mm -hmm. heard that, you should check it out because it's a great podcast for artists. And um, 
uh, 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 they were, you know, talking about referring to people on Patreon as creators, right? And you see that mm-hmm. on there with the language. It's always about creators. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. you know, that really is the best. As much as it's any kind of new thing, I usually just hate it. Anything new, new that like a new term everyone's using. Mm-hmm. Like everyone's saying self-care now. It drives me insane. But, <laughs> but, uh, I remember when you were all <laughs> mad about butt hurt. Yeah. Butt hurt. Really. You were, butt, butt, you were butt hurt over butt hurt. <laughs> <laughs> I was totally butt hurt over butt hurt. For whatever reason, that's just cause I'm old and I'm like, you know, just these young kids and their new terminologies. But, um, I think it's because you have a certain, there is a, an aspect of your character that is a bit contrary Chet in general. Yeah, and so yeah. you have a tendency to be a bit, not, I wouldn't say confrontational at all. You're not confrontational, but you are a bit contrary. It's I'm just suspicious. Hey, I'll put it this way. I'm suspicious of anything that's popular and new. I, I, I don't like automatic. I'm it's, and it's, it, I'm suspicious. That's why I'm usually late. So all these great bands and stuff like the Minutemen, all my everybody I knew is into the Minutemen, and I just didn't give them a chance because it was like, ah, everyone's into the Minutemen and Pedro, and, and they're like they're the greatest band ever. And I got into them right after the guitar player died, so it's a bummer. But anyway, I'm, I'm usually late to those kind of games because of that, yeah. and I'm trying to you know not be like that anymore. But um, anyway, the the term creator really is the best term because yeah. he, that's what it's all about. It's about for, for creative people, it's about creating. It's not about painting. It's not about sculpting. It's not about anything other than creating. That's, and that, that's what I've always felt like, you know, people that computer programmers and stuff, mm-hmm. they're like creative people. Yeah. And so it's, I always felt like, well, they're not an artist. And so the, it's almost like the term artist is more of a subset of creator. Whereas sure. I refer to myself sure. as an artist, I should really be referring to myself as a creator and all of us as a creator creators, because that's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. It's creative work. So, yeah, well, I mean, when you think about like, you know, the Mysterian card uh, divination that yeah. I made up, that's an invention and <laughs> that we invented and we created it. And, right. and I mean, yeah, there's artistry involved in it. Sure. And we used a variety of great artists to help mm-hmm. us with it, but still it's a creation. When I write a screenplay or make a film, I mean, it's art. Yeah. But it's really a creation yeah, I because think, there's yeah. so many moving parts involved. And you I, know? Yeah. And I think, the the creativity aspect is the one thing that all of these disciplines have it's, it's about making things creating something from nothing and that's yeah. really what drives me to be creative mm-hmm. i love to be creative so like i said i think i would have been just as happy doing music maybe but um or computer animation art stuff maybe you know mm-hmm. if, as long as i'm able to be able to express myself creatively i'm cool with that it doesn't have to be you know i just painting what i'm i was suited to it you know and it took me a couple of major failures to realize that and to get to that point and um i think it was you know i i, I was willing to try and give years of my life to these things and mm-hmm. and when they hit a point there's a point where you know i think you know you should never give up on your dream but there was a point for me on both of those instances that I was like, I, I'm give, letting these go because they're, right. not, they're not working. Right. And then when I started painting, I was seeing that response. You know, as soon as I got going and showing, I was at first, first year or so, I wasn't seeing a lot of um, response because I really was trying to find my way and what I was trying to express and create. 
Mm-hmm. And well, once I started showing and I kind of settled on these monster portraits, I'm like, oh, yes, this is it. This is the thing. So I right. guess the main point, that's not my whole story of how I got here, but the main point that I think I've just never really talked about is that I failed a few times. And even when sure. I, you know, I reached the goal of makeup effects, that wasn't a failure. That was a success. But I realized it wasn't exactly, it wasn't enough. It wasn't fulfilling. Mm-hmm. Whereas painting now, I feel like, I'm pretty sure I could do it the rest of my life and be happy because I still feel every painting is still enjoyable to do. And it's, and it's difficult enough to do well that it still keeps the challenge going. Right. You know? Right. And the, well, and it doesn't mean that you don't do the other things that you enjoy yeah, doing, right. but you do them as a hobby. Like you right. play music and you like yeah, to do that. Exactly. It's like me. I, you know, I like to write poetry, but you know, there's no audience for my poetry. That's fine. And so I do it because I like to do it, you know, mm-hmm. and if I have a, find a way to incorporate it into some other thing I'm doing that people are interested in, well, great. whoop do doo But it's just something I'm doing. Cause I like to create that cause I like to do it, you know, and I have a place where I post that stuff, but yeah, yeah. no one's looking at it and I don't care. Cause yeah, that's not yeah, what I'm exactly. doing it for. Yeah. You're doing it for fun, you know? Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's, I, I saw this, a meme or I think it was a meme. I don't know if it had an image, but it said something, someone was posting it around about, yeah, you saw it. It was in the reverent meme group about um, following your dream and turning your dream into a job so that you yeah. end, end up hating your dream or something and yeah. miserable doing it. There's oh. kind of some truth to that in a way, you know, once you do make it your job, there's plenty of times where I'm painting for a show and I'm like, this fucking sucks. I hate this right now. I hate working on this painting right now because you just don't want to do it sometimes or you're too tired. Um, but, but you have to because it's now your job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's yeah, like, there were definitely periods when I was making the documentary and I was editing particularly, where I was like burning that clock for thirty six hours right, straight, and, like, and I was like, "This is so lame! Why? Like, this is the dumbest stew." And Why I made, do and, and you'd get done with thirty six hours, and you'd look at the progress you'd made, and you'd be like, "This is this is impossible!" Like, I don't even know what, what I was even thinking. You know? Well, that's why you got to really, I think, choose your your goals wisely because you have to really do something that you really, really love, you know, because that love will get you through the hard times that will make you not quit. Well, and also I think what a person loves changes too. And we're not not living in a vacuum. It's not static. We're all changing and evolving. Mm -hmm. And so what you love will probably change. Case in point is the makeup effects. I was as into makeup effects. I was total makeup effects nerd. That's all I thought about. I had posters on the wall. It was like, I was into it. And that became, you know, eventually I I achieved the goal. And then it was like, I'm not, it didn't, it's not fulfilling enough for me because, you know, it would have been another story if I was somehow making a bunch of stuff that I wanted to make every time, Uh, you know, but that wasn't the case. It was more like a, a, sure. You know, like if you had the dream job where you had this amazing director and producer and crew that always worked together, that were just knocking out amazing work, then you'd have been in heaven and maybe none of us would have ever seen your amazing oil painting talents. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I I always, again, there's there's a benefit to the downside because you went through hell trying to get yourself through that period of that. Right. And getting out of that, but at the same time, that apocalypse led to this amazing body of work that we wouldn't yeah. get to experience. Otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, and, and we, I think when you, when you do follow your bliss or whatever you want to call it, follow that, <clears throat> that thing, your muse, it, it, when you look back at it, it almost looks like everything led up to that point somehow. 
mm-hmm. you know, in a weird way, because I, I would never be the painter I am now if I didn't have all that uh, makeup effects training. That was sure. 20 years of working with the best artists in the business. It was like yeah. better than any art school I could have gone to, I think. Um, I, I agree with you because there's all you can look and it's but it's always it's always in retrospect for mm-hmm. me. I mean, I can notice a synchronicity occurring. I guess everything for the human is in retrospect in the sense that we see it and we have to process it. Right. But the gap, I guess, is what I'm talking about. Like in my daily life, I see synchronicities and I recognize them as such, but I don't see that they are building up to a larger, greater synchronicity that is involved with all right. of that. And so it's only in retrospect with that gap being elongated that we're able to be like, oh, okay, so all of that was kind of conspiring somehow together. And so you can't help but kind of feel like, well, maybe there's something else more than just me, you know, because I didn't think myself to the point I'm at, you know, kind of thing. Because I mean, same thing for me with like casinos, dude, for business, I couldn't have had better training for managing people and timelines and money and deadlines Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of this stuff that I have to apply on a regular basis that I totally take for granted. I couldn't run this business and create this business I made if I didn't have 17 years of managerial experience in an an environment that required high levels of intensity and like Johnny on the spot and like, oh, you got to go from, you know, counting 360,000 thousand dollars to going out on the floor and fixing a broken machine because the person that's supposed to fix it can't show up and now you're out there up to your elbows in grease and you've cut your fingers and you're trying to fix this you know so it's like all of the things i learned there led me to be able to then apply that all to the stuff i'm doing now in my organizational skills you know and i never could have done that i couldn't have gone to a school to teach me all that stuff come on yeah you know but translation is what's so bizarre i never you know i always knew i was going to do what I'm doing now. Right. So then it's like, but I never knew I would have to go through all of that to be able to be good at what I'm doing now. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You would. And you could, that's part of, I guess what I was saying about, um, being open to seeing opportunities and being open to let things change, Mm -hmm. you know, that that's part of the deal with success. I think is you have to be open, like your favorite, you know, buy the ticket, take the ride. That, that is, that, (laughs) that is, Part of that, taking that ride is letting the ride take you, you know, and being willing to go on that ride because, you know, just so many weird things that I, you know, I could never, like you're saying, I could never imagine us doing this podcast, um, uh, doing the Kickstarters. I would have never guessed any of that stuff. I mean, at the time when I started, I, all I knew about being an artist was you could sell stuff online and you have gallery shows. And, um, I never really thought of it beyond that because I, you know, it kind of, it was in such an early stage. I started in like 2000. So there wasn't, now it's a little easier to be an artist online because there's a lot of models to follow and with Patreon and just big cartel and all that. So it's, it's important, I think, to be flexible. And that's like a really a Zen concept is that I remember hearing Alan Watts say about just life in general. It's mm-hmm. important to be flexible and don't mm-hmm. be so rigid because mm-hmm. part, you know, you, if you want to follow the path, if you want the goal and you always say this too about magic and visualization and stuff, you have to be, if you uh, are manif- trying to manifest something, you have, you can't manifest it the way you think it should go. You have to, you have to focus on the goal and let the, the other details be taken care of themselves because that's kind of the magic 
You know, you. Yeah, well, that is the magic. Yeah. yeah because yeah. You're, what it tells you basically is it tells you you are tapped into something that is far more powerful than you because it can orchestrate it's things smarter. in ways that you could never <laughs> do yeah. that. Yeah. You, you know, so trying to do it yourself and force it a certain way is as egotistical as it gets. It's impossible. You're, you're, it's like, you know, fighting the tide. The tide's coming in. You know yeah, what I yeah, mean? And it's, so, yeah, you got to roll with it. You have almost, to. Yeah. You're, it's almost like setting yourself to, up to fail in a way if, you, if you're too rigid in how you uh you know accept things because for, for me when, when i first started i um in case you don't know the story you know this is another thing i was thinking total side note i've been listening to um other podcasts lately and mm-hmm. one i got hooked on this one podcast called let there be talk and it's this guy dean del rey and he and it was cool he gave me a shout out because i supported his patreon Oh, cool. And that and that was kind of cool because it's a pretty big getting to be a pretty big podcast. But he he's like a comedian guy that interviews musicians because he used to be a musician. And um, I got started listening to it because he interviewed uh, Jerry Casale, the bass player of Devo. And you know, I'm a huge Devo fan. Then I found one that was interviewing uh, Henry Rollins, which was really good. And so I started going back and listening. And it and I, my point is on this little sideline is that. You know, we take for granted that everybody has listened to every episode, but when you get into sure, a podcast sure. and his, he's got like 300 episodes, so it's more the case, but a lot of people body of work to move through. Yeah, There might be fans of this podcast that have only heard like a 10th of them or a quarter of them. Cause we kind of sure. have, you know, we're up to 70 something. I think this or, is 73. I think this is episode 73. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But anyway, point being, I'll say the story again, because you know, not everyone has heard every episode. No, I think it's important to reiterate. I mean, not to mention this episode is, well, how did you get here? So right, if you right. don't tell the story, then you're not really explaining how you got here. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so I basically around 2000, I started, you know, dissatisfied with the film industry, decided I wanted to be a fine artist. And I would thought I would do that with sculpture. And then I did my first sculpture, which was soft spot. And it took so long and it was so expensive and no one bought it that I thought, oh, I got to, I got to do some other form of fine art. That's a little more feasible. So I was flexible enough to go, okay, I, I can paint, I can draw, I'm going to try painting and which ended up being, you know, my bread and butter. And, um, <clears throat> so there's an example of being flexible and still, yep. still doing your goal. Or and, even like the study thing too, you know, yeah, now, right. I mean, that's jumping forward, I guess in time, mm-hmm. but still it's like you realized, you know, I need to be able to make more small income and also make work that's affordable for my people that can only afford smaller pieces. Right. And you realize that those hands shook, you know? And so yeah. that had you been like, Oh no, there's no way I'm making some little right. tiny little crap study. Exactly. I'm a big fancy artist. Yeah, you know? totally. Totally. And on top of it, it made me a better painter because I started now I do a study every time I don't yeah. I never, and it's, and it's better, a better approach for me. Yep. So anyway, I, um, you know, I was sitting on the set of planet of the apes, Tim Burton's planet of the apes remake. And I was in the trailer and I was, had the, the, the job of, you know, the money was great, but it was sitting in a trailer for 12 hours a day and painting these rubber ape hands that got damaged during these fight scenes they were having. And, um, <clears throat> I mean, I could have gone and watched them film the fight scenes but i was so over at that point i've been doing the. it's just like you know once you've seen one crazy fight scene in a movie you've seen them all so i was just sitting in there kind of bored and like touching up these hands is like you know uh 
pardon the pun, but any monkey could do it, you know? <laughs> and it's so, it's just was so easy, but it was so boring sitting in this big trailer, movie trailer. Um, at least creatively, it was really boring. You could sit and read, watch movies on, you know, your device if you wanted to. Write your screenplay. That's what yeah. I would have been doing. So <laughs> writing a book or writing a screenplay. Exactly. <laughs> so it's cool in that way. And like I said, the money's good, but it's long hours. And um, so I thought, well, I'm going to, I have a, some paper. I've got paint to paint these monkey hands. So why don't I try doing a painting? And then I did a little five by seven painting called, I titled it one because it was the first one I did. And, and that was the one that was like, okay, you can do this. You know, it was good. It was a good little painting. So I knew from there, even though I didn't know what I was doing, I knew that I knew enough to, and I had enough like natural instincts to do it. So I thought, oh, I'm going to be a painter. So um, I started painting at lunch breaks on, um, at, at work at, at Cinovation at Rick Baker's shop. So I had a little canvas. I would set at my desk and I, right around that time, Lisa's grandmother had died and she was an artist and she left me a bunch of paints, oil paints and stuff. So I had all these oil paints. And um, so I was just practicing on my lunch hours and on the weekends. And, you know, like if you've seen the documentary, I told Lisa I wanted to be a fine artist in the middle of just after we'd bought a house, you know, after making good money. I mean, I used to make good money and Lisa used to work in the film business too. At, until her mother got sick and we had to take care of her mother. She kind of left the industry. You know, we were both pulling in pretty good paychecks. I mean, we were doing pretty well. Uh, we weren't rich, but we were, you know, there was not like, you know, never we couldn't afford the bill to pay the bills like it is now at times. Yeah, yeah, totally. But, <clears throat> so anyway, she was really, you know, supportive and cool about that. And, you know, I, I got to hand it to her for, being supportive of that is a pretty amazing thing. So I just around that time, also someone at Rick's told me, uh, Kevin Wasner told me this guy, Kevin Wasner, who is the onset guy on uh, the walking dead onset mm. makeup artist, really mm -hmm. cool guy, great artist. Um, so he, he's like, you know, kind of responsible for all those great zombies on the walking dead. I was working with him. He was, I think in the foam room or the mold room or something. And he was telling me, Hey, you got to do this cannibal flower group show. And it was a monthly group show that, you know, if, if your work was halfway decent, it was just, it was meant to be kind of a starting point for artists. And so I was like, okay, I'll put them in these shows. They're really a pain in the ass to do I, I, because they were like, you had to drop your painting off like um, the day before maybe, or the week before, no, sometime the week before. And then Saturday night was the show. And then Sunday, you had to pick your painting up. If you didn't, it went into some warehouse where they stored it all, and it was really hard to get your artwork back just because they were like a small-time operation too. Yeah. LC uh, uh, and uh, Michelle Waterman used to do that show. And LC, um, who's in the documentary. and uh, The documentary, I Like to Paint Monsters, yes. if you don't know because yes. you haven't watched other episodes <laughs> where we've talked about it. That's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> when you're right, you're right. Um so I started doing the cannibal flower shows and, um, you know, driving down on my lunch hour to drop it off on a work day down in, you know, downtown LA from Burbank. It was real mm -hmm. pain in the ass, but I was, you know, I was willing to do whatever it took. And, um, so then I started getting some success there. I sold some paintings and Gary started showing me and that was kind of like 
got the ball rolling. And actually before actually before the Cannibal Flower show, I got my first opportunity was Adam Jones's ex-wife. They were married at the time. She was she had a band and she was doing kind of like a debut of her band at some um theater. And she asked me, Hey, do you want to do have a little art show in front of the gallery? And I had like never painted a series before I was just still learning what I was doing. And I just, mm-hmm. just had started and I was like, okay, I'll do that. And so and that's, that's like cut and one in the oven and all yeah, those pieces, those really old pieces. gas mask. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. And it was kind of a different style really too. I hadn't, Oh, it's, it's very different. Yeah. I hadn't developed like anybody wants to look yet. good at chatzar.com. Uh, and go to the earlier works tab and you'll be able to see all those pieces yeah. and they did, they, they're very different, but you can go and check them out. Yeah. So I, you know, I was like, okay, I, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try. I just commit. I'm going to commit. I committed to doing it. So I was like, I'm going to do my best, just make it happen. And, and I managed to pull off these paintings and they're pretty good, you know? Um, so that was kind of the first show. And basically I started doing the cannibal flower. I started getting other shows. I started increasing my web presence and just following the thing as it happens, the opportunities that come up. Anytime I was asked to be in a show, a group show, I would take it. I would say yes. You know, and at this point I'm like, I pretty much turn all group shows down unless it's, I ha- happen to have time or it's someone I know and I want to, you know, hook them up and, it's a friend or something. Right. Right. Um, or but if they that buy was, them but front, that was your you way know. in. So that yeah. tells a lot of people that are listening that, you know, group shows are a reputable way to get in. And nowadays you can get involved in shows and not even be anywhere near the place. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. It's not like it was back then. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And, and you never know who's going to see it. Cause I know that, I mean, I remember the story was basically that LC says is that, you know, LC showed your work at Cannibal Flower and then Gary saw a piece at Cannibal Flower and bought a piece from the Cannibal Flower show of your work. And that was kind of the segue into that haunted uh, mansion show or something, haunted house show. Oh, haunted, there was a sh- haunted dollhouse. Haunted dollhouse no, show, actually, which was like. Actually, the haunted dollhouse was before that. That was, Oh, was it before that? Yeah, that was Liz. That was when you, was that when you brought your, uh, your sculpture, your soft spot piece that was a full sculpture? Yeah. Yeah. So the haunted dollhouse yeah, show. I didn't but, have paintings then. That was before right. this stuff. That was probably my first show. And, and that was Liz McGrath who invited me. And I knew oh, yeah? her. Yeah. I knew her because a friend of mine who I was in the bands with growing up in Pedro, it was his girlfriend at the time, Liz McGrath. And so, you know, she, he, she, we met through him. And so I kind of knew her and then she was really successful at that point mm-hmm. as a fine artist. And so she actually, I asked her if I could be in a show and she let me be in the show she was curating. And then I showed soft spot. And then, so I was, you know, I was willing to do all be in any, any show that was available and then kept increasing my web presence the whole time. I guess the crux of this, that the, the main point I want to make is that the whole time while I was doing this, I felt like I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know if the next painting would be good or bad because I didn't know how to paint well enough. At this point, I know that I can do a painting and it'll be good because I know how to do it. I've been doing it like 15 years now. So I I, I can predict, you know, if I, I can reasonably predict that it's going to come out right. But back then I had no idea, man. Every painting, you know, I had many failures, paintings that just didn't work that I had to abandon or that I never showed because they just, I was figuring it out. And, um, 
I, it was, I really felt very insecure and like, I, I was like, you know, had total imposter syndrome because I really was, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I, I, I had, I think I had talent, natural ability, but that doesn't mean you're a great artist yet. You know, that comes mm-hmm. from practice. And, um, and I, and it, and there was just, it was like a, a wiggly line to get where I'm at now. And it was by just trying to get in any show I could accepting any offer I got, you know, s- trying to sell work in any way that I could. And, um, <clears throat> there's no, there's no clear, easy, there's no path in a book for that sort of thing. You know, you just have to do it <laughs> and just, right. And just follow the thing and see where it takes you. And, you know, you gotta be willing, like with the band after, like I said, 10 years, I hit a point and I was like, this isn't happening. It's been 10 years and we haven't made enough progress. I don't have the energy for it. And, you know, it's like, it took me a few tries to really get to a thing that I could do well and be successful at. You know? Well, and you got to try different people out too. You know, you give, you, you try people out and you give them the benefit of the doubt. And if it turns out that they're legit and it works out, that's great. But a lot of the time you go through a good number of people before you get to those people that work out, yeah. you know what I mean? That you mesh well with and that you can, you can work with too, you know, because a big part of this whole entire thing, what you do, it requires many moving parts. You deal with different people, you deal mm-hmm. with different things, you know? And so to be able to have people that you can trust and, and be like, and one of the things I'm thinking of is like when you trusted to do the documentary with me, right. you didn't know me at all. That's you know a perfect I mean? example of, of the weird way that it went because that the documentary was, you know, personally it was a big step for me to have a documentary made about you, whether it is successful or not. It's kind of, you know, in my mind, it's kind of a big deal. You know, it's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. And, and, and just the fact that I could have easily said no to you. Oh yeah, and that would have been the end of it, and we wouldn't be sitting here doing this podcast, yeah. or we wouldn't have the Dark Art Society, we wouldn't have yep. the Patreon, we wouldn't be dealing doing this kind of stuff to try and make the movement bigger. Or, I mean, for that matter, if I hadn't have been persistent, I mean, the truth right. is, is that I, and, and also again, I was flexible. Cause like the first time I hit you up was for something that had nothing to do with that, you know? And I, I didn't just go, Oh, well he doesn't like me. So he doesn't care about me. So I'm just not going to deal with it. I followed up when you didn't respond to that post. And when you weren't interested, some time passed and then another idea came to me. I thought you might be interested in cause I was following the thing, you know, yeah. I somehow felt this relation to you. And so Lupe, you need to go on. Mind your business. Go find a spot. Sorry, my dog is bothering me. So, you know, so there's that whole aspect of that where it was like I, you know, I kept basically being persistent and shifting gears and not saying, well, it's, you know, oh, maybe it wasn't about that. Okay, well, maybe it's about this. Oh, it's not about, okay. And eventually, you know, I hit the right thing at the right time and you were receptive at the right time for the right thing. And I didn't do that. You didn't do that. That shit just happened. And and you, you know, you hadn't, didn't have plans to be this big documentary, documentary filmmaker. It was like, it was another creative possibility to be creative and be a creator. And, you know, you were willing to go to do that just like with, um, you know, the other stuff you're doing now, your land of enchantment tour, the, you know, these were your, your, uh, uh, wards. These are born out of, um, you know, needing to have an income stream, but not wanting to go and have to work 
a job that you didn't like. So you're like, okay, what can I do that's creative? And so, you know, you had that flexibility to be able to go, okay, I could do this or this or this, you know? Well, and I never would have been able to have the mindset of diversifying my business were it not for all my experience dealing with corporate business work. You know what I mean? So again, it's that Orosboros thing. Yeah. And here's the other thing that's interesting too about, you know, following the path and getting your goal is if I wasn't so strapped financially over my whole painting career, there's, I would have painted if I didn't have to, I wouldn't be painting, have this much work and having right. this much work has really served me well. You know, it's great to have this huge body of work. It gives you so many more options, but if I was doing it on the side or if I was, you know, a trust fund kid and had money, I, I would, I just, I know I wouldn't be working that hard because I wouldn't have to. And same with you. Yep. It's like, you wouldn't have probably wouldn't have the land of enchantment tours. You probably wouldn't have you know, the awards as a side business. Cause you were just doing yep. that stuff for fun, you yep. know, but it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, um, that adversity really kind of, you know, forces you to, to, to rise to the occasion and absolutely work with it. You know, it's like it, forces you adversity to whatever degree. I mean, I like the metaphor of it's kind of like, you know, sharpening your knife on a stone and adversity is that stone, you know, and you are that knife. And if you know, you have no motivation in your life to do anything, then you're not going to feel pressured to hone your blade is you're going to have a dull blade. You're not going to do, be able to do much with Mm -hmm. it. But if there's motivation there now, the thing is, is for some of us, like you and I, we need to fabricate a little bit of motivation at times. And I think that's true for a lot of people. You know, I love, what I do. And I am absolutely driven to do what I do. But at the same time, were it not for the financial difficulties, like you said, it's hard to say how much I'd be doing, you know, and I'd like to think that I would be doing, you know, maybe more because I had more finances. I, but I can't say that I can't speak to that. It's not what's my experience. But what I can say is, is that the intensity under which I operate definitely creates me to function and produce optimally, you know, and why is that? I don't know. That's how I function, but that not everyone's like that. I don't think. Either, yeah, you know. but at the same time, though, I think it. Hold on a second, the dog came. At the same time, um, yeah, that metaphor is great because it's it's it really does you, you grow from that experience, mm-hmm. you know, and um, and this is you know th- this is peel away that dull metal that's not going to do the job that needs to be done because you're shaving it off with this really hard thing mm-hmm. so you can get both sides of it razor sharp so you can cut you know right i mean so yeah it's like it really can that's how it feels when you're going through that process of sharpening your blade it doesn't feel good you know right, what i mean right. <laughs> but you know the outcome is is necessary if you want to be potent and that's what a sharp blade is, is potent, you know, right. and that's what we all want. We all want potency in what we're doing, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I think that's just the, the bottom line for a creator. You want your work to touch other people in the way that other work that's been potent has touched you. I mean, right. I yeah. don't think it's bigger than or smaller than that, really. No, yeah, that's that's the bottom line for sure. I mean, what you know, what, I go no, ahead. Go ahead. 
Well, I was just going to say there's there's this thing that I found uh, I saw on the computer the other day. It really fits with what we're talking about right now. It's not very long. I wanted to read it. I know you don't like when I read things, but Kathy <laughs> Kathy Olavas posted this, and I think you'll I think you saw it, but I think it's just I, it really hit me in a good place, and it relates to what we're talking about right now, okay. potency. But it's using a different word than potency. So just hear me out. Nobody tells this to people who are beginners. I wish someone told me. All of us who do creative work, we get into it because we have good taste. So there's the word instead of, you know, but there is this gap for the first couple of years you make stuff and it's just not that good. It's trying to be good. It has potential, but it's not, but your taste, the thing that got you into the game is killer. And your taste is why your work disappoints you. A lot of people never get past this phase. They quit. Most people I know who do interesting creative work went through this years of this. We know our work doesn't have that special thing that we want it to have. We all go through this. And if you're just starting out or you are still in this phase, you got to know it's normal. And the most important thing you can do is do a lot of work. Put yourself on a deadline so that every week you will finish one story, painting, film, whatever. It is only by going through a volume of work that you will close that gap. And your work will be as good as your ambitions. And I took longer to figure out how to do this than anyone I've ever met. It's going to take a while. It's normal to take a while. You've just got to fight your way through. Yeah. I just thought that was That's really great. awesome. Yeah. You know, because the thing is, again, potency and taste, I think, is relatable. Because what I just said, I packaged the same way, but in a different manner, which is to say that well, I'm saying, yeah. you you're, know, you, 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 I want to make things people are going to like. Yeah, you know, yeah, so, I want, I want, want it to, to match my <laughs> level of taste because I know I have good taste. I mm-hmm. know what's good. I'm, I could, you know, I wish I could be an art critic and get paid to do that and then do art on the spare but you know that ain't happening but we all have good taste that again i think that's the point of that that i really like is that we were born into this taste we have and so you have to get the skill set to back that taste so you can produce good work yeah but also you know the thing about taste is interesting is that um some people don't have good taste you know and and uh that want to be artists and part of Developing good taste is exposing yourself to good work. Absolutely. You know, that's and why. Bad work. And bad work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why. That's another difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. And then, um, but I, I think, you know, I think, yeah, I, that's a good point. But I do think that exposing yourself to great work is more important. Well, because, if you go to college, I guarantee you they show you more good work yeah. than they show Bad work. I, I I remember they didn't show you a bunch of shit. Yeah, they showed so, stuff that they wanted to teach you was good. You know? So that's why you know it's it's always good to go back to the the you know your predecessors, the, the tried and true artists, filmmakers, musicians, or whatever. That there's a consensus that they were doing great work, yep. so that you know you know what great work is, and then you 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 know you need to learn to appreciate it and kind of. Um, immerse yourself in good work and that helps to develop your taste as to what's what's good and what's not good you know yeah well and then once you get good enough at what you're doing you know you like chet said you've honed your taste you've sharpened that blade and you've got the skill set to back it then you know people are going to be interested in what you're doing yeah because you're doing good work and people <laughs> yeah, want exactly. good work you know but the thing is is that you know and I, I not to knock on anybody but i have seen to some degree on social media throughout my whole experience on social media that there are people that post a lot of progress stuff that just haven't gotten to the point where I, if it were me i would be comfortable posting posting progress stuff. Now, you know, no dig or anything, but the point is, is if your skill set and your taste and those things are honed in such a manner that you can produce good work, then yeah, people want to see those steps in the process because they want to learn how to be good too. But 
they don't want to see the steps in the process of someone who's still learning how to do it. That's, you know, now don't get me wrong, your friends and your family, however you want to use social media, that's fine. But if you're going to build a career for yourself Mm -hmm. and you want people to pay you to see the stuff you're doing in the interim processes, you have to make, give them a reason to want to do that, you know, and that's vastly important to your longevity doing what it is you're doing, Mm -hmm. unless you shift major gears and be like, oh, I'm not a painter anymore, (laughs) you know, know, now now I'm a filmmaker. Yeah, right, right. Well, that's, uh, that's, uh, uh, that was a good thing to read. And I don't dislike you reading. Where did you get that idea? Oh, I don't know. I won't even bring that up. That's, <laughs> that's a personal conversation. I don't remember ever saying I didn't want you reading things. Well, you didn't say you didn't want me reading anything, but like I said, we'll have that. <laughs> okay. I don't well, want to bore these people. We already bored them for our pre-roll. And stuff. So, uh, uh, why don't you talk about, I mean, we're at an hour here, but I want to hear your, your long and winding road and to how you, Jesus, how long are we going to make well, them sit here for this? <laughs> you, you know, I, we do a part two or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could, or you could just try and, you know, I don't know, spend 15 You're minutes. You're asking on someone as loquacious as me to abbreviate. <laughs> you can do it. Cute. <laughs> Well, at least hit the bullet points, you know, because you, you, you went to you went to you decided not to get in the industry. Like, I'll, t- I'll tell the story for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is. It's like you decided not you went to college. You became a film major. You decided not to do the, you know, get in the film industry because you wanted to do your own thing. You didn't want to be corrupted by the film industry or whatever, that whole thing. And then you so you had a regular job for how like 10 years or something. Yeah. The, so I worked in the casino from- industry. 2000 until what 2014 so 14 years in the casino industry i guess I, I think your path is a weirder path than mine because you were like you know fully entrenched in a regular job that is not art related at all yeah here's the thing so it's like i knew i knew that that was just this other thing i the other thing i was doing was the regular job all along and i knew it that was the whole thing was like I, you know, I never knew that you could make money from art. As a kid, I always was an artist. I drew, I was into it. I loved doing art, but I never, ever, what? A creator. Yes, I was a creator, but I never thought you could make money. And it wasn't until I got into high school that I started thinking, huh, maybe you can make money doing this. But I didn't really realize like how. So then I went to college and I was like, the only way you can make money doing this is gallery bullshit. And I don't, that's not what I want to do. I want to reach a larger audience. So the whole time I'm kind of shifting gears like, Mm -hmm. well, okay, I'm not doing fine art. I guess I'm going to do this filmmaking thing because I can reach more people and I can use fine art, but I can triage with a lot of other stuff. So I was like, I'm going to graduate school with this degree and I can go out and do that, do that whole thing. But what I can do is also just continue working these great casino jobs where there's very little expected of me. And I have all this free time at work to do my writing and to work mm-hmm. on these projects that so it was in like the a, term I a, knew would, would benefit me. So it was like a, a strategic decision. It was absolutely a strategic decision. I was like, I can make enough money to Lupe, go on now, mind your business. <laughs> I can, I, you know, I can make enough money to survive and do my, you know, thing and, and work these jobs and still be able to create these stories and write them so that I have them already out of my head 
existing in the world, you yeah, know, and getting books, your, and getting your, place, getting your getting practice, ready, you know, getting yeah, learning what, and also uh, absorbing life. I mean, the truth is, is that if you're going to be a good writer, you better experience a lot of different kinds of people and you better observe it and watch it and be astute about it because right. you're not going to write good characters if you don't observe people, you know? Yeah, so yeah. I put myself in a position to observe the oddest, most strangest, bizarre people you could think of on graveyard at casinos, oh, you I know? Bet, I bet. And so I created all this work, but then it was like, I always kept wondering, well, when is, when am I going to stop doing this? <laughs> you know, like mm. when am I, you know, and as time went on inevitably, cause I'm a good worker, I just moved up and moved up and moved up and moved up until I got to a certain point where it was like, I was definitely doing way more work for the side job, which was what I was getting paid for than I was for this other thing that I had been doing. And, and I was like talking about the writing and stuff. Yeah. Well, anything like, you know, the, all the stuff that I, you know, my long-term deposit of creativity, the creative stuff I was making, whether it be a, a, a casino game called sixes or whether it be, uh, you know, a, a short story or a screenplay or whatever, anything that I was creating yeah. at the time, I wasn't able to devote the amount of time I needed to, to that. So there was like this schism and I was like, I've got to break out of this. I've got to somehow get myself positioned so that I can actually do what it is I really want to do. I've created enough work now, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the idea was like, well, what do I do? And that was all around the same time that I started getting on Facebook because Joy was like, oh, no one's ever going to see your work. No one's ever going to care about what you're doing. If you don't get out there, you got to do this. And of course, I found you through my friend who was a high school friend who found me and his profile pic was Pipe Dream from 20, mm -hmm. one of your 2010 paintings. And it was obviously new that year because I was 2010. So it was like a hot painting, you know, right. hot item. And uh, so I was like blown away by that. And I just started thinking, well, I wonder if I could get this guy to do artwork for me or something like for my book, you know. And I, then I started looking, seeing how famous you were. And I was like, oh, maybe that's not going to happen. And then you sent <laughs> my message. So I was like, yeah, it's definitely not going to happen. And some time passed. And then I was like, but I was feeling that itch. Like I'm not doing what I want to be doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm doing this other thing and I'm doing a lot of it and I'm getting good at it actually, but it's not really what I want to be doing. And I'm not spending enough time working on the things that are my passion. That's what I have always wanted to do, you mm -hmm. know? And that basically led me into saying, well, fuck it. I'm just going to reach out to this dude and, you know, he's going to be in my state and he's going to be here for teaching. So maybe I'll see if I can meet him and, you know, who knows what will happen because right. I struck out book idea with him and you know he's reciprocated mildly but not overtly so but then you were super cool yeah come on down and i'll meet you at the door and you i'll you know get you a pass and all you have to do is pay for the class and i was like so all of a sudden now after all this persistence the doors have opened you know this guy that i'm kind of like you know chasing around a little bit because i'm like something with this guy i gotta work with this guy i don't know what it is you know mm -hmm. but i'm chasing that thing you know so the doors opened you were like yeah sure come on in and i was like oh sweet this is great <laughs> I took your class, but we didn't talk at all. You know, we right. had no chances. To talk. And so I was like, okay, well, it didn't happen. Lupe, you need to mind your business. And so, you know, we didn't get a talk, but then I had the dream and that was the dream. I was making a documentary about you, you know? And I was like, what in the fuck? This is amazing. Well, fuck it. I'm just going to ask him because I have nothing to lose. And you had you no know? plans of like, it's not, it's, it's so. I had no idea. Yeah. I had no <laughs> I had no equipment. I mean, all I had was this equipment from like, what, uh, you know, 12 years ago or something. <laughs> I had nothing. I had no script. I didn't even have, I just had this idea like, oh, I want to make a documentary yeah, about a dream. it. <laughs> yeah. So I pitched it to you and you were, at first you were like, that sounds really interesting. And you were like, well, maybe you could show me some of the work you've done, you know? And I was, okay, hold on. 
Lupe, get out of here. <laughs> so, yeah, the dogs are getting a little playful in the background. They've been they've been banished. You know, so where was I? What was going on? Uh I said, let me see some of your work. Yeah, so you I posted a bunch of video stuff, old work, old old work. And that was the other thing was like I'm like posting stuff that's like got, you know, copyright symbols from two thousand and two. And this yeah. is like two thousand twelve. It's like decade old material. <laughs> and I was just like, Well, I have nothing else to show the guy. I haven't been doing any film work, so what can I say about film? Oh, I've been writing screenplays and books, but I can't show you those either. So you right. know what I mean? <clears throat> I just was like, Well, fuck it, I'll put up my work and see, you know, and so I started like putting stuff up and putting stuff up. And at a certain point in time, you were like, okay, okay, enough, enough. <laughs> like I've seen enough. You're like, you're fine. You're good. I, I feel good about this. We should do this. And then you were like, so, you know, where's the money going to come from? <laughs> and I was like, well, I was going to ask you if you knew anybody that would want to pay for Because <laughs> I had no idea, right? I mean, how do you know? You know, yeah. I'm just, I don't know. I don't know how much money you make. I didn't know if you had a bunch or not, or you had connections or you didn't. Right. Or, so where, where do you start? Ground zero. So I was like, do you know anybody? And you're like, nope. You're like, but there's this thing that I'm hearing about called Kickstarter. And I had a friend that did one and it went good for him. And I've been thinking about it. And I was like, really? And you were like, yeah, you can get money from people to do your project. And I was like, whoa, cool. You know? Yeah. And so I started looking into Kickstarter. And next thing I know, I'm fucking making Kickstarter videos on this old ass iMac that was like vintage. It was classically vintage at that stage <laughs> in the game, the, the technological right. era. Oh, and with this old VX 2000 camera, that square frame, you know, aspect right. ratio, <laughs> just like, who cares? Because I got to do this. I mean, I just, why not? What yeah. do I have to lose? Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. So, and, yeah and, and, and the, uh, the money story is kind of funny too, about your budget. Oh yeah. So I just like, well, cause I came up with a budget and, and he was like, well, how much did you come up with? And I was like, yeah, I think it's going to cost about $12,500. <laughs> and he's like, okay, well I just, you know, not to be mean, but I, you know, I worked in the film industry a long time and I just got to say that well, the kind of the rule in the film industry is you double your budget, whatever it is. So you should probably be asking for like 25,000. And I was like, really, you know, and you were like, yeah, I think you'd probably be smart, you know? So of course we doubled it, we made it. And then, you know, two years after that, I had to do a whole nother Kickstarter, just to finish the film right. and made another 30. So it was like, it obviously cost, I mean, I think the film, when I figured out the whole budget was like $225,000 in total to make. So it's like, I mean, think about how much I 225. How do you figure that out? Well, that could be a separate discussion too. Okay. That's not public, public knowledge. <laughs> so, but nevertheless, did you, you go on a crime spree or something? <laughs> I don't know no. about no. So, still know the business aspect of it, but yeah. So you know, it costs a shitload oh, of money to make. Astronomically <laughs> more money to make than than it you know I ever be began to think it right, was going to. Right. So then I did the second Kickstarter, but here's the kind of the twist to the story. And this is that synchronicity bit. That's so fun. It's like, so check quit working his job because he was like, I'm going to follow my bliss and do this thing I love. And if there's a support system, it'll catch me. I'm just going to, I'm going to make this. And I, and I, and I was, I was seeing enough support to do that too. It wasn't like I just had nothing and I'm like, I'm going to do it. You know, well, it's I, like this. Okay, so I've been selling for a while. So right, which is like the same thing in my Kickstarter story, where it's like I wouldn't have decided to quit my job, or my career at this point, I guess, because that's how I was making all my money, and like you said, I was making good money. Right. So it was like I wasn't going to just quit that on a whim. I had done a successful Kickstarter, and I told myself if I did another successful Kickstarter, I was going to quit my job on a whim. Oh <laughs> you know? wow! 
So the, and the, the reason I did it was because I was telling your story and part of your story was that you took this leap of faith. And I was like, how can I make a documentary about a guy who took a leap of faith Unless I take the same leap of faith. I mean, I'm that guy. I'm like, I can't, how can I make a movie about this thing unless I know? I mean, I wrote a screenplay about an ice cream man. I had to go get an ice cream man job to write the screenplay. Right. I am that guy. So I was like, if I'm going to make a movie about this guy who jumped off the cliff to see if he would be able to have wings and fly, then I have to do the exact same thing. And that's exactly what I did. I told myself and I told Joy and she agreed to it just like Lisa. Right. She was like. All right, it's <laughs> as hell. And we knew that there was no money there for me. I mean, there were, I wasn't getting money from the Kickstarter to pay myself. That's the thing. Yeah, you you did it way crazier than I did for sure. Yeah. <laughs> like you were, you took a bigger leap of faith than I did. Though the point of all of that is that you know, because you you've made some really good points. Flexibility is vastly important. You know what I mean? Mm. There's a variety of points we've made, but one of the most important points is making a gesture. You know what I mean? There, it's it's vastly important, and I don't know what you want to call it. If you like to call it God or Great Spirit or the Universe or whatever is comfortable for you, but the idea is that if you make a gesture, a grand gesture to, as I would like to call it, the Universe, it notices that. Yeah, <laughs> so it is. That's like when that. you. Well, that's when I was just listening to this podcast. This Jason Liu guy who is a magician, and he's talking about you know occult magic, and he was talking about you know when you become a magician. The first step before you do anything is you go and you make a declaration that you're becoming a magician. You like go to the like to Alan the, Watts did. Like what? Alan Watts did on his birthday. Alan Moore. Alan Moore, damn it. I got yeah. him mixed up. <laughs> yeah. So that that's like the first step. And that is very much the same principle that you're talking about, which is you have to, you know, you have to it's no different than bloodletting. I mean, that's another one of the ways that people have done it. Joy pulls hair out and throws it in the wind. You know, I mean, everyone makes their gestures and right, you can make right. small gestures and grand gestures. But if you're doing a grand thing in your life, like, oh, I'm just going to stop doing this thing I've been doing for 14 years that pays all my bills. And so that I can finish this film because I couldn't afford to do both of them. It was either not finish the film and keep being this guy or do the thing I always wanted to do. So the rub was there. I mean, talk about blade to the stone. So. Yeah. It was like, okay, well, here's my gesture. I'm going to prove to the universe I'm serious about this because if I do this, it's, there's no taking this back. It's done. Right. And then I spot I've never even imagined being, and then I don't even know how to handle that. I don't even know what that looks like. <laughs> I didn't know what Kickstarters looked like, though, either. I didn't know what talking to Chet's are looked like. I didn't know, you know what I mean? You don't know what these things look like until you look at them. Uh -huh. <laughs> how do you look at them? By walking up and doing it, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? So again, it's funny because there's this weird story within a story because I was like, well, fuck it. I'll do the same thing. And then I did the same thing. And now I've been working my way slowly but surely into a position where I can afford actually to continue to do this. And I've had several business failures throughout this process. Right, right. And so it's like – Again, I have had, you know, oh, a door opened all of a sudden, you know, and I've got this new business partner and things right. are going great, you know, and then two years later, three years, I think it was like three and a half years later, you know, that just goes down the tubes. Right. So it's like, oh, okay, so that ain't working. And, it, and you realize maybe it was never working all along. Right. So like, well, what do I do now? And what you do is you tune in and listen to the wise people around you. I listened to you. I was like, what's Chet telling me? Do your ritual art sell that stuff, do it. Listen to chat. What's joy telling me? Joy's telling me do this land of enchantment tour thing, sell it. You know what I mean? And so you listen to the people around you that are part of your, your, your circle of confidants, you know, mm -hmm. also because it's vastly important. They are wise in ways that you are not. They have perceptions that are, well, that, you know, yeah, and that, 
than yours. And that that can be um, applied to just having an intuitive sense as well as a way to read the signs around you, you know, to see, even if it's not, I agree, you got to have your confidants, you got to have your people that you trust that you can ask um, advice from, but you can also just look around and see yep. what keeps popping up in your yep. life. What, what, the, what's, what's this commercial that, you know, I saw this commercial about this subject and then I heard a song about this subject. And then I saw this guy talking about this subject. And right. it's like, those things are almost like they're little clues once you make your declaration that universe will like, it's like a game. It likes to play. So it likes to, it doesn't want to just give it to you for free. It is not yeah. going to give you anything for free. No, Nothing is for work. free. It's, but it, it is going to give you a little, a little bit at a time for you to follow. Got it. You also have to be able to have enough awareness to perceive those events. Mm -hmm. And what that requires to take it to another kind of teaching is like the way of the peaceful warrior, for instance, the Dan Millman book that's made actually into a great film with Nick Nolte. Um, but one of the things they talk about in there is clearing the garbage out because there's a path to your right. intuition. And there's a, if there's all this garbage in the way, which could be a lot of things. And for everyone, it's different. Everyone mm -hmm. has their own garbage. You know what I mean? Right. But if you do, if all that garbage is in the way, you're not going to see the synchronicities. Right. You're not going to notice that they're still happening. The clues are all around you. Right. You're just blind to them. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, to them many times in my life. And I think we go through that yo-yo effect where sometimes you are and sometimes you aren't. It's yeah. not a destination again, you know, but I think you're right. It, it is, it, that is another key part of it. All of these things are really, I think in getting, allowing yourself to go with this, this process, but also be a part of this process you're going with. Mm -hmm. And that's the conundrum, right? That's the God talk. That's the word talk around it, but we'll never get to it because what we're saying are two contradictory things seemingly, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Go with this thing, but, but then, then make it happen. Of it happen. Yeah. How does, hmm, what? Yeah. <laughs> And so you know you're getting down to that divine stuff when you're talking about that. And that's right. the stuff that, you know, I think all of these things are our evidence, our pieces of our puzzle. But maybe there's something there that people can glean for their own part, you know, right. their own path and, and understand what's going on for themselves better. Yeah. And I think that um, a good first step to clearing out the garbage um, and to be able to see the signs or to take the advice or to hear the right things uh, and make the right decisions is meditation to where you're still in your mind. And for some people, it may be therapy. For me, it was definitely therapy. Like I had to deal with a bunch of personal issues before I really could get to, to that point to where I, I think my mind was clear enough to be able to see things as they are, really are. If you have drug or alcohol problems, you know, I would also good say, luck <laughs> that yeah. you got to deal with that shit. Anything that's going to hold you back. Diet. Diet and exercise, both important things. Yeah. Absolutely. Your, your brain chemicals are very much tied to your diet and the amount of mm -hmm. exercise you do or do not get, Yeah, you know, that, that fits right in there with it. I mean, all these kinds of things are, they're basic things. They're yeah. like lifestyle choices. Everybody knows it. And too, so what it requires. Yeah. And what it requires, what, what we're talking about is a lifestyle change, you know, and these are changes that actually you're making the decisions, but also they're making them for you. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're like, you're paddling down the river and the river's what's pushing you and there's currents there, but you're also able to steer yourself in that river, even though the river's the one that's really in control. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, well, that was good. See, you did it in 17 minutes. You did it. Bum -ba -da -ba. <laughs> it's very, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Do I deserve a pat on the back or yes. anything? I, if I was there, <laughs> I'd pat you on the back. Okay. Well, 
that was good. Let's let's wrap it up because we're at an hour. All right. Hour well, I would like to. I want to read off these people because we have some new people that are supporting uh, the Dark Art Society Patreon. And if you'd like to do that, you can go to patreon.com forward slash Dark Art Society. And there are a variety of really cool rewards right now. You can be on Discord. There's a cooperative, a secret collective collective on Facebook where you can go and engage and post only with members. Um, variety of awesome options. You get to listen to the podcast a day early. So for those of you that aren't paying a buck, pay a buck and listen to it a day early. Day early. Okay, so here we go. Ransom and Mitchell. Yay! Oh, yeah. I love Ransom and Mitchell. Yeah, they're, they're like... Great. I have like these kind of weird top picks. I'd love to do a top pick uh, uh, episode, even though I know we can't because it would probably make people feel bad. But I just would love to list off the people that I love, they're, what they're doing, but that I think a lot of people don't see them. Because like yeah. Ransom and Mitchell, I don't think they get nearly the love they deserve because the stuff they're doing is like... Yeah, it's it, really cool stuff. hits the floor. Yeah, it's so amazing. So Ransom and Mitchell, yay, thank you. Yes, and thank then you. Uh, Kali Brown, and I hope I pronounced your name uh, properly, K-A-L-I. Kali, mm. Kali Brown. So thank you very much for supporting the Dark Art Society and becoming a member. And I'll see y'all on Discord, I'm sure. And I'm sure Chad will pop in one of these days when he's done with this rat race he's been stuck in and he'll holler at y'all too. Yes. So thank you all for listening. This has been a fun episode, even though it's been three weeks. I feel like we got the wheels turning again. Yeah, back on track. So uh, there's also our, our personal Patreons if you want to support. Patreon.com slash Chetzar where I'm doing tutorials and showing all of my new work and um mike's got uh patriots.com forward slash land of enchantment tours and that's to see where i go to get my ingredients to make my ritual art and also the processes behind making my ritual art so it's a bunch of cool stuff behind the scenes i also have one called patreon.com forward slash emails from infinity and it is about to have a major overhaul which is super exciting because it's going in a whole new direction as agreed by my current patrons so pay attention to that one because there's going to be some really and chet's chet's gotten a taste yeah it's, it's, it's pretty fun. It's pretty cool. I'm, I'm excited to see that. So. There Thank you go. You. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we will talk at you next week. Yep. See you next Wednesday. All right. Goodbye. Peace.